coming up to Lumpur Chao's birthday. Even though he passed away 24 years ago, it's a time to remember his teachings and count our blessings that we've come into contact with him either personally or through through his teachings, through his Sangha. Living and training in a monastery, we commit to following the Vinaya, training in Dhamma Vinaya. This is the official term for Buddhism. It's how the Buddha described his teaching. Dhamma Vinaya, the truth and the discipline. Lumpur Cha used to remind the monks frequently that even though we go through an ordination procedure, we enter the Sangha, we're given a name and a title. Usually we're called Venerable. Venerable Kalyano, Venerable Rojano, and so on. But these are only superficial designations, names. We're called venerable, but our minds and hearts are perhaps not yet venerable, not yet worthy of veneration. We put on the robes, we look like monks, but how much our heart has developed the qualities of a true monk, a true samana. Depends on many things. Really the true samana is the liberated one, the arahant. Or secondly, you might say, the noble ones, the sodapana, sakadagami, anagami. You might say, thirdly, well, somebody who keeps the Vinaya properly all the time. They have Hiri Otapa in their mind and they take their practice seriously and they're sincere in keeping the Vinaya. When we come into the robes, we maybe not yet haven't learned that. Literally, we we're still learning the rules, the ways of training, the ways of practice. Learning on the outside, and then we're learning on the inside to develop the qualities of a samana, the renunciation, the dedication to harmlessness, dedication to contentment in the use of the requisites, in the way we obtain our requisites. <coughs> dedication to training the mind in virtue, in meditation, in insight. We're committing to this training and this is what will make our hearts and minds venerable or worthy of veneration. But we also have to accept we have our karmic conditioning, what we've done before, 
comes with us. So many of our mental states, intentions are no different from that, that arise, are no different from before when we were lay people. Some very skillful, some not so skillful. But the difference is they're now committed to the training. We're using, we're using the Vinaya as a way of training body, speech, mind to deal with that reality, the reality of our karma, our karmic inheritance, our candors, five candors as we find them for ourselves. We're training them, moving towards liberation, recognizing suffering, its cause, and abandoning the cause through the practice and through this training in Dhamma Vinaya. So we have to be honest. We're aiming to realize truth, the Dhamma, and then we have to be honest clear in our minds and we're ded dedicated to recognizing the way things are, the truth. So much of our practice is learning to recognize behavior that is going against the Vinaya, going against the Dhamma, that is for more suffering and abandoning it, whether it's our external behavior or just internal mental behavior. This is the skill of the samana, one who is ab constantly abandoning kilesa, the cause of suffering, and developing maga, the factors of the path that will help us free us from suffering. And we have to be vigilant because the kilesas are smart. As human beings we have intelligence but so often it's hijacked by the kilesas following craving attachment. So our very intelligence that we have, we've inherited with our human birth becomes a, the cause for suffering to arise. It comes under the influence of greed hatred, delusion. It's very smart, very tricky, manipulative. And when we come into the robes, often we have lots of thoughts about our past lay life, memories, habits, conditions, and that's normal, it's to be expected. Then we learn more about the Vinaya and the way to meditate and reflect on the Buddha's words and the teachings, which is all good and correct. But then some of our views and perceptions start to evolve or change as we're moving away from the habits of the lay life and developing more the habits of a samana. But these tricky, sneaky kalesas, they often just find new ways to come up. So whereas you know, the certain activities, ways of speaking, things we did as lay people, we've dropped them now. We're living more simply, in a more disciplined way in the forest, 
following the Vinaya, but now the Kalesas look for other ways to come out. The same roots of suffering are still there until we really uprooted greed, anger, delusion. They're still there, it's just they start to come out in different ways. So Ajahn Chah was always talking about how just the basic things of our daily life become a kind of a battleground between the Kalesas and the Dhamma. Just the requisites we have, we become start to gain the desires of a, of a monk who's been a monk for a few years maybe we start to gain the fresh desires of a wanting new kinds of requisites better ones different ones things that we haven't got they may be associated with the monk's life but now they become more important everybody knows the experience like most of the seven day medicines that we we're allowed to have. You as a lay person, you hardly ever thought about things like cheese, sugar, or chocolate. And once you're a monk, it starts to become more important. You start looking at different brands, different kinds of seven-day medicines. They take on this new importance. We might be able to even obtain them within the bounds of the Vinaya, but mentally, the Kalesas might start to become fascinated with them. So we see a change in our interests or what we give importance to. Whereas before we might have eaten two or three meals a day, now we think more about the seven-day medicines in the evening. Or any other requisite, our robes, bowl, kuti, can spend endless time proliferating about the basic necessities of the life based on the kilesis. They take on a new importance and the kilesis always have a, a good reason why we should do this and have that and get this, get that. I remember there was one monk when I was a, a novice I spent some time with him. He, he had one. He had some eye issues. So when he, he was a slightly younger monk, he was living with Lumpur Cha. He was always dreaming about getting some dark sunglasses to protect his eyes. He had a good excuse. The doctor said, oh, your eyes don't do so well in the sunlight. But nobody in those days would offer sunglasses to a monk junior monk. He's always thinking about it, how can I get sunglasses? Eventually he went to Bangkok on a trip where there's more people with more funds available so somebody offered him sunglasses. He was so happy, so always like he got what he want, wanted, always playing with them, looking at them, wiping them, keeping them in his bag, bringing them out. It was a really big thing for him and then one day someone stole them from his yard. He was so shocked, he hadn't thought that might happen. Couldn't find them anywhere. And then Cha heard and just said, mm, I was wondering when that might happen. 
Ajahn Chah thought it was a good thing that they'd been stolen. And then he can see the attachment it formed around these sunglasses. A lot of the dukkha we have, in, especially in our early years in the monastery, it's just simple things like this, things that we attach to, little possessions, food, drinks, small requisite items. We don't have a lot, so the kilesas form around small things. Then we get, they get lost or broken or stolen, or we get upset when somebody else moves them, takes them can fly into a rage when somebody moves our prized possession, even though they might have moved it just a few inches. And kilesas are like this, just because we put on the robes doesn't mean to say our greed and our anger just disappears overnight. But it evolves and it's crafty, so it starts to evolve and form around new, new things, new experiences, new material things, new ideas, ideas of self. As a lay person, we have our idea of who we are, our job, our family background, our, maybe we identify with the, our friends, our partner, all kinds of things. We drop all that when we come into the robes, but maybe we take on new identities, like you know, I am a monk, how well I keep the Vinaya, how much I know about Buddhist teachings, what I know, what I don't know. Some monks are very shy, very embarrassed because they feel they don't know much. Others like to tell everyone how much they know. But a new sense of self starts to emerge after a while as a monk. Maybe even just something simple like how well you wear your robes. I remember when I first started wearing robes, I was pretty clumsy. Couldn't wear a G1 very well. Took me six months before I could sort of just put it on without too much trouble. And one day a senior monk came along and just said, just said, oh, you're wearing your robe well these days. Everything changed from being, oh, I'm a monk who can't wear a robe, or a novice in those days, I was a novice. Can't wear a robe. They used to call us the road sweepers. You go on Bindabhat, your robe drags behind you and you sweep the robe as you go along. And then he said, oh, now you're wearing your robe well. You change from being a road sweeper to a proper Samanera or bhikkhu now wears robes nicely. The sense of self changes the perception, maybe you get a little bit of pride. And it's not wrong, I mean, we do aim to wear our robes mindfully and look good, look proper, according to the Vinaya, neatly all round, but it's the sense of self that's the subtle thing, isn't it? Sense of who you are. Even a bhikkhu will have that. As you grow in the robes and you, know, you move on from just the way you wear your robes, the way you hold your bowl, your deportment, the way you chant, those kind of basic things, it moves on. You start to be how well you can give a Dhamma talk or explain the Dhamma how long you can sit meditation, how ascetic you might be. You know, it starts to change. Or maybe later on, maybe it's how many lay supporters you have and what invitations you get, maybe even what 
titles or what things you get. Your sense of self will evolve if you're not careful all the time. It's because we have our attachment to these candidates, we identify with them as self, what we call self-view, psychiatry. Whether it's very coarse kind of self, self-view, or very refined self-view, it's still self-view. And wherever there's self-view, it's a fetter. It binds us to the world, it's a cause for suffering. It entangles the mind up with the candors, whether in a very gross, coarse way or in a very subtle way, it's still an entanglement. Whether it's Sakaya Ditti, skeptical doubt, Sila Patabharamasa, attachment to different practices, rituals, Gama Chanda, sense, sensuality, patiga, ill will, irritation, negativity, or the more refined fetters of that the anagami is still contemplating rupa, the rupa jhanas, the rupa jhanas, conceit, the subtle, restless agitation of mind, and ultimately avicca, ignorance itself. They're all fetters. They all bind the mind to the world. Ajahn Chah used to say we're like leaves on a tree. The wind blows and we move with the wind. So often you say when you contemplate in your practice to see where you're at in your practice, whether it's going in the right direction, we'll just contemplate how how you're affected by the worldly winds. You gain and loss, praise and blame, status and loss of status, just the pleasure and pain of daily existence. You know, in the bhikkhu life there'll be plenty of source material for this kind of contemplation. So when we're beginning, it's maybe just simple things. You know, we're worried what the other monks think about us, how well do we do our duties, our tasks. We look more deeply and see how it's, it's, it's a self-view. Maybe have an idea of how we should be, and then we look back at how we think we are. But it's all just concepts and ideas we add on to the experience. Doesn't mean to say we shouldn't put effort into learning our skills, improving ourselves. We should. I mean, it's a way, a vehicle for training in mindfulness, insight, and making many kinds of wholesome good karma, helping ourselves, helping others. But as we do this, we also have to use the meditation, the mindfulness practice, and our reflective skills to catch the kilesas as they come up. And how proud are we? Uh, of uh, what we know and what we do, how we are, or how self-critical we are, shy or embarrassed. There's many varieties of self-view comes up all the time, or attachment to opinions, knowledge, what we've learned and read, and the desire to tell everyone about it, discuss, maybe end up with a few arguments. It's constantly manifesting self-view in so many different ways, based on the candors. So 
So we actually don't have to go very far to practice. The eight worldly winds are constantly swirling around, coming our way. Unexpected conditions. You get gifts or different requisites are offered or maybe something you want doesn't get offered, doesn't come your way. Sometimes you wait a long time. Sometimes you wait so long you forget all about your very desire to get that thing. And you think back six months later and you realize you didn't even need that thing after all. And what other people say about us, how good we are, how bad we are, how ordinary we are. Even that, you hear that in monasteries. He's a very ordinary bhikkhu. Or he's a very hard-working bhikkhu puts lots of effort into his practice. Very, very careless, forgetful bhikkhu. I never see him meditate. I always see him meditate. On and on it goes. The views and opinions you hear from other people about yourself, about things associated with you, it's endless. This is all the worldly winds. And you have to learn to see how does your mind cope with that. Do you have enough mindfulness just to catch your reactions they praise you do you get lost in it they criticize you do you get lost in that or can you have enough mindfulness just to recognize what's going on catch the words the meaning as it comes into your ear and your brain filters it the perception comes up the feeling of pleasure or pain with with those words how do you react you have enough mindfulness just to accept the karma of that situation. Oh, they're praising me, oh, they're blaming me. And let it drop there. Or do you create suffering out of it? Do you go away thinking about it, proliferating, craving and attachment comes up, forming opinions, oh, they praise me, I like them. They criticize, criticize me, I don't like them. They're fair, they're unfair. The world is unfair, life is unfair, life is good. Often we're moving, just trying to find new good experiences to keep ourselves satisfied, keep ourselves going. Interesting things to talk about, requisites to have, places to go, places to travel to. Well, now we're looking more deeply, just seeing what's conditioning the mind, These are the very underlying desires, cravings and attachments that affect us. If we don't address them, then they're constantly evolving. Just like the malaria strain in Thailand, every year a new strain of malaria is coming out. They say it's worse than before, the medicine doesn't deal with it anymore, we've got to get new medicines. Chalases are like that, we need new medicines to deal with our chalases. We have to be more skillful. So to deal with these eight worldly winds and the different fetters that we brought along with us into the ropes, you know, we have to learn the skills of our lifestyle as samanas, put effort into reflecting on our sila, the vinaya, learn the rules, use them as skillful ways to bring up mindfulness, bring up insight and let go of greed, anger, delusion on that level. Develop our meditation object sitting, walking, 
learning to sit mindfully, not just in a kind of casual way, passing the time. Actually, dedicate yourself to sitting with sati and sambhajanya, alertness directed to your meditation object. Calming the mind, you know, getting the rest so that then you can contemplate better. It's your walking meditation. Set yourself targets and learn to sit and walk, walk for an hour without stopping, without resting, without going elsewhere. Walk for a whole hour, just keep putting attention on your meditation object. If it's the feet, buto, parts of the body, whatever. Learn to complete these sort of small tasks and maybe once you can complete them easily then increase the length of time that you can sit and walk. Learn to see how the mind craves distraction just because there's a bit of pain or tiredness or when we have different moods, like when you're feeling bored or restless, just want to go and do something else. Just stick to your goal and then you can watch that mood arise and pass away and that's insight. It's impermanent. Boredom is just another mood, it's another mental state. Restlessness, another mental state. Aversion to pain is just another mental state. They come and go. Have enough patience, enough effort, enough mindfulness to be able to see that, and then you get insight as a result. And the result of insight is you get liberating experience. The mind becomes more still, more quiet, and more clear. And these eight worldly winds, they're our karma, they're constantly coming back to us and they bring us different mental experience, mental impressions coming from the outside and also just internally generated from memory, thought processes. All these different sense objects that we're receiving, just like they say, like different colored dye in water, just changes the color of the water so you lose awareness of the translucency of the water becomes yellow or red or whatever colour sense objects are like that but if you keep practising mindfulness patiently with effort then the mindfulness starts to be the more established quality in your heart and the mental impressions are seen more just as what they are they're just transient mental phenomena rising, passing away feelings pleasure and pain rising, passing away. You get better at it and then the eight worldly winds don't overcome you so much. It doesn't matter. You know your own mind, you know what you're doing. And if you're keeping the Vinaya, then there's really nothing to be too concerned about. It's just old karma coming up, giving its fruition. The more you practice, the more confidence you gain from just trusting in your skill, keeping the Vinaya, developing mindfulness, reflecting on the Dhamma. So Ajahn Chah says your heart becomes bolder. Not in a worldly way where you want to go, you're bold with other people, want to defeat them in argument or through aggression. Just bold because you know what you're doing. You're mindful enough and you know how to keep your mind peaceful you know how to contemplate and you can understand how to let go of dukkha. He used to paint the picture of somebody 
collecting mangoes. He said, in the end, all these mental impressions, these eight worldly winds that bring us pleasure and pain, different kinds of happiness and sadness, they're just like mangoes on a tree. And you've got a friend up a tree, shaking the tree or cutting the mangoes and just dropping them. You're just like somebody underneath collecting them up in a basket. It's fun. The more mangoes come down, it's fun collecting them. When you start to become used to keeping the Vinaya, maintaining mindfulness and learning to contemplate on your experience, well, it's fun. Even unpleasant experiences are fun if you have enough skillful qualities to let go of the dukkha of them. It can actually be enjoyable to contemplate painful feelings arising as you meditate and let go of the aversion that might normally form. Or just to go through different kinds of dukkha but without giving into it, just using it as a skillful means to contemplate and let go of the self-view. It can actually be enjoyable because you're getting a sense of liberation and the peace, the joy that comes from that. Sounds almost like self-torture or masochism, it's not like that. Because we're developing the right qualities, we let letting go skillfully. We understand what is dukkha, we understand what is the cause of dukkha, craving, attachment, and we're letting go. So there's a, a genuine sense of the mind being liberated and a sense of maturing of insight and understanding. If you really understand something, well, you don't get fooled again, tricked again by those sneaky calasis, you know it's just that much. Pleasure is pleasure, pain is pain, but it's just that much. Oh, we practice, we just keep practicing every day. Lumpocha's refrain, patibat ri ri, which means just keep practicing. Doesn't matter what's coming up, it's all food for contemplation. Doesn't matter what's happening, you keep the Vinaya one day to the next, just the same as before. Keep putting effort into bringing up mindfulness, just the same as before. Keep contemplating just the same as before, whether it's pleasant experiences, unpleasant. You use them all as a vehicle for liberate, liberating insight. See through this self-view, this self-identity we keep building up. This picture of ourselves that leads to so much grief. Trying to defend ourselves, excuse ourselves. And you see when Self-view is strong. There's always a good excuse in the mind. When we're following greed, we want to... We've always got a good reason why we should follow the greed. Or oh, I need a bit more food today. Got work to do, or I had got more things I'm doing, or traveling or something, or I need more nampana today. Or I need a rest, I need to sleep more. Or I should go and get some more knowledge, read some more books, talk to more people. It's always good excuses. Mm -hmm. That's what we have to look carefully at, whether those 
reasons those excuses are genuine, and they may be, or is it just the case of finding another reason to indulge? If you're angry with someone, I mean, maybe there's a good reason. Oh, they did this wrong, they misbehaved, and they weren't nice to me. If you keep going to the excuses, and which is what a sense of self will do, or defend itself, find a good reason, a good excuse, well, then you're not seeing the underlying cause of the problem, the greed, the aversion, or the delusion. You keep developing your mindfulness on the breath, on Bhutto, on different meditation objects. You're bringing your mind just to know what's there in the present moment. If it's other people's words, it's just words, it's just sound. It's painful feelings arising in your body, well, it's just painful feelings. Pleasurable feelings, are just pleasure. With the breath, you do get a lot of pleasure coming. If you keep meditating, obviously, you start to gain some sense of contentment, happiness. But it's just just that much. It's the contentment of a mind that is now starting to purify itself, let go of some of the hindrances and the kilesas. It's very useful for us, that sense of well-being, happiness, helps us to contemplate deeper and keeps the mind steady nourishes the mind, but still we don't have to attach to it with a sense of self, form a pride or conceit around it. And just know it's the natural product of our efforts in the meditation. When we do things wrong, we have to accept if we made a mistake, we weren't mindful, just accept that, oh, I wasn't mindful. Use it as a good reason to put more effort into being mindful, mindful of the Vinaya, mindful of what we're thinking, what we're doing, saying. The worldly way is always have an excuse, always push responsibility away. It wasn't me, they did that wrong, they did that. It wasn't me. Yes, the, that's the worldly way, the layperson's way, maybe. Not all lay people are like that, but that's what we tend to do in the lay life. Monks learn to be responsible. It's not necessarily wrong to accept that you've made a mistake. You don't dwell on it and become depressed or negative. You just accept, well, it's just that much. It was a mistake, now I know. And you move on and you learn. You acknowledge it and you grow from it. That's if you're dedicated to the truth, to really understanding Dhamma, following the Vinaya. If you're still dedicated to the Kilesas, well, you still keep up the self-views. There's always a good excuse. You can always defend yourself, find a good excuse, good reason, just to indulge the Kilesas a bit more. And now we're stripping that habit away just seeing what's really there. Actually, there's no self, is there? 
when you're following the breath, there's no person there. When you're mindful, there's no person, no being. It's just different candors arising and passing away according to their karma, according to causes and conditions. When you see that with mindfulness, with wisdom, then there's great peace. You don't have to keep carrying a heavy self around all the time, identifying with every mood, every mind state, every issue. So tonight is a half moon night. It's a good night to put effort into sitting and walking. And this week, Lumpur Child's birthday, we can dedicate, maybe dedicate our efforts to our, the founder of this tradition. It's good uh, Dhamma reasons for practice and of gratitude to teachers. Anyway, I'll leave you with those reflections tonight.